0: Chapter two part one of The Girl on the Boat by p g Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two part one. Gallant Rescue by Well-Dressed Young Man. One The White Star Liner Atlantic lay at her pier with steam up and gangway down, ready for her trip to Southampton. The hour of departure was near, and there was a good deal of mixed activity going on. Sailors fiddled about with ropes. Junior officers flitted to and fro. White-jacketed stewards wrestled with trunks. Probably the captain, though not visible, was also employed on some useful work of a nautical nature, and not wasting his time. Men, women, boxes, rugs, dogs, flowers, and baskets of fruits were flowing on board in a steady stream." The usual drove of citizens had come to see the travellers off. There were men on the passenger list who were being seen off by fathers, by mothers, by sisters, by cousins, and by aunts. In the steerage there was an elderly Jewish lady who was being seen off by exactly thirty-seven of her late neighbours in Rivington Street. And two men in the second cabin were being seen off by detectives, surely the crowning compliment a great nation can bestow. The cavernous customs sheds were congested with friends and relatives, and Sam Marlowe, heading for the gang-plank, was only able to make progress by employing all the muscle and energy which nature had bestowed upon him, and which, during the greater part of his life, he had developed by athletic exercise. However, after some minutes of silent endeavour, now driving his shoulder into the midriff of some obstructing mail. Now courteously lifting some stout female off his feet, he had succeeded in struggling to within a few yards of his goal, when suddenly a sharp pain shot through his right arm, and he spun round with a cry. It seemed to Sam that he had been bitten, and this puzzled him, for New York crowds, though they may shove and jostle, rarely bite. He found himself face to face with an extraordinarily pretty girl. "'She was a red-haired girl, with the beautiful ivory skin which goes with red hair. "'Her eyes, though they were under the shadow of her hat, and he could not be certain, "'he diagnosed as green, or maybe blue, or possibly grey. "'Not that it mattered, for he had a Catholic taste in feminine eyes. "'So long as they were large and bright, as were the specimens under his immediate notice, "'he was not the man to quibble about a point of color. Her nose was small, and on the very tip of it there was a tiny freckle. Her mouth was nice and wide, her chin soft and round. She was just about the height which every girl ought to be. Her figure was trim, her feet tiny, and she wore one of those dresses, of which a man can say no more than that they look pretty well all right. Nature abhors a vacuum. Samuel Marlowe was a susceptible young man, and for many a long month his heart had been lying empty, all swept and garnished, with welcome on the mat. This girl seemed to rush in and fill it. She was not the prettiest girl he had ever seen. She was the third prettiest. He had an orderly mind, one capable of classifying and docketing girls. But there was a subtle something about her, a sort of, how shall one put it, which he had never encountered before. "'he swallowed convulsively. "'His well-developed chest swelled beneath its covering "'of blue flannel and invisible stripe. "'At last,' he told himself, "'he was in love, really in love, "'and at first sight, too, "'which made it all the more impressive. "'He doubted whether in the whole course of history "'anything like this had ever happened before to anybody. "'Oh, to clasp this girl to him and—' "'But she had bitten him in the arm,' "'That was hardly the right spirit. "'That,' he felt, "'constituted an obstacle.' "'Oh, I'm so sorry,' she cried. "'Well, of course, "'if she regretted her rash act. "'After all, an impulsive girl "'might bite a man in the arm "'in the excitement of the moment, "'and still have a sweet womanly nature. "'The crowd seems to make "'pinky-boodles so nervous.' "'Sam might have remained mystified,' "'But at this juncture there proceeded from a bundle of rugs in the neighbourhood of the girl's lower ribs a sharp yapping sound, of such a calibre as to be plainly audible over the confused noise of Mamies who were telling Sadies to be sure and right, of Bills who were instructing Dicks to look up old Joe in Paris and give him their best, and of all the fruit boys, candy boys, magazine boys, American flag boys, and telegraph boys who were hawking their wares on every side.' "'I hope he didn't hurt you much. "'You're the third person he's bitten today. She kissed the animal in a loving and congratulatory way on the tip of his black nose. "'Not counting waiters at the hotel, of course,' she added. And then she was swept from him in the crowd, and he was left thinking of all the things he might have said, all those graceful, witty, ingratiating things, which just make a bit of difference on these occasions.' He had said nothing. Not a sound, exclusive of the first sharp yowl of pain, had proceeded from him. He had just goggled. A rotten exhibition. Perhaps he would never see this girl again. She looked the sort of girl who comes to see her friends off and doesn't sail herself. And what memory of him would she retain? She would mix him up with the time when she went to visit the deaf-and-dumb hospital. Two. Sam reached the gangplank, showed his ticket, and made his way through the crowd of passengers, passengers' friends, stewards, junior officers, and sailors who infested the deck. He proceeded down the main companionway, through a rich smell of india-rubber and mixed pickles, as far as the dining saloon, then turned down the narrow passage leading to his stateroom. Staterooms on ocean liners are curious things. "'When you see them on the chart in the passenger office, with the gentlemanly clerk drawing rings round them in pencil, they seem so vast that you get the impression that, after stowing away all your trunks, you will have room left over to do a bit of entertaining, possibly an informal dance or something. When you go on board you find that the place has shrunk to the dimensions of an undersized cupboard in which it would be impossible to swing a cat.' "'and then, about the second day out, it suddenly expands again. "'For one reason or another the necessity for swinging cats does not arise, "'and you find yourself quite comfortable.' "'Sam, balancing himself on the narrow, projecting ledge, "'which the chart in the passenger office had grandiloquently described as a lounge, "'began to feel the depression which marks the second phase.' He almost wished now that he had not been so energetic in having his room changed, in order to enjoy the company of his cousin Eustace. It was going to be a tight fit. Eustace's bag was already in the cabin, and it seemed to take up the entire fairway. Still, after all, Eustace was a good sort, and would be a cheerful companion. And Sam realized that if the girl with the red hair was not a passenger on the boat, he was going to have need of diverting society. A footstep sounded in the passage outside. The door opened. "'Hello, Eustace,' said Sam. Eustace Hignett nodded listlessly, sat down on his bag, and emitted a deep sigh. He was a small, fragile-looking young man with a pale intellectual face. Dark hair fell in a sweep over his forehead. He looked like a man who would write verse Libre, as indeed he did. "'Hello?' he said in a hollow voice. Sam regarded him blankly. He had not seen him for some years, but, going by his recollections of him at the university, he had expected something rather cheerier than this. In fact, he had rather been relying on Eustace to be the life and soul of the party. The man sitting on the bag before him could hardly have filled that role at a gathering of Russian novelists. What on earth's the matter? said Sam. "'The matter?' Eustace Hignett laughed mirthlessly. "'Oh, nothing, nothing much, nothing to signify. Only my heart's broken.' He eyed with considerable malignity the bottle of water in the rack above his head, a harmless object provided by the White Star Company for clients who might desire to clean their teeth during the voyage. "'If you would care to hear the story,' he said. "'Go ahead.' "'It is quite short. "'That's good. "'Soon after I arrived in America, I met a girl. "'Talking of girls,' said Sam, with enthusiasm, "'I've just seen the only one in the world that really amounts to anything. "'It was like this. "'I was shoving my way through the mob on the dock, when suddenly— "'Shall I tell you my story, or will you tell yours? "'Oh, sorry, go ahead.' Eustace Hignett scowled at the printed notice on the wall, informing occupants of the state room that the name of their steward was J. B. Midgley. She was an extraordinarily pretty girl. So was mine. I give you my honest word I never in all my life saw such...